This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Because, you know, I've talked already about how I think it's important that we break down these silos, right? So managers shouldn't just be talking to managers and responders shouldn't just be talking to, res to responders. There's, the way I see it, there's this whole kind of spectrum of management and response that we all fit into somehow. Hi, welcome to EM Weekly, your emergency management podcast. And this is your host, Todd DeVoe. And this week we're talking to Camila Baker to Stefano, and she is the founder of the Crisis Academy, and it's a new online emergency management training platform. And Camila has a, a great and interesting background, and her journey to emergency management is one that, well, you're frankly going to want to hear. It's, it's definitely interesting uh, compared to some others for sure. So anyway, I just thought it was really interesting that uh, to bring her on the show and talk about some of the things that uh, she's doing, um, some of the concepts they have and since she has, and and really give it a twist to that continuing education that we as emergency managers really should be doing. Now, full disclosure, she has actually asked me to be one of her instructors, and I think I'm going to put a program together for her. We've been talking about this, and, and that's not why I have her on for sure. But uh, I definitely want you guys to, to take a look at it and, and to see if this is something for you, for your continuing education um, ideas and, and, and what you think that can help you be a better emergency manager. Because at the end of the day, whether you take um, IS classes, which are, are, are good, or you go to EMI, or you're taking your state and local uh, training, you need to continue to get your education as emergency managers uh, and, and stay fresh and read the journals. You know, I, obviously, if you're listening to Ian Weekly, you're probably one of the people who's already doing things like this. Um, but I just want to, you know, share this and, and tell your friends that out there to, to continue learning. Because if you get stale in this business, people's lives can be affected. So just think of it that way. Well, enough of me talking. Let's talk to Camille. Welcome to EM Weekly. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well. So I always like starting off with our interviews, uh, getting a little get to know about you guys out there that are that are doing this. And, and one of the reasons why I do that is I think it's exciting to see where people, how people get involved um, in emergency management and in this field. So how did you start? Because I know your background isn't quite the traditional way of becoming an emergency manager or getting into this field? Yeah, that's definitely one way of putting it. Um, so I, in a tiny, tiny nutshell, I'm an, uh, an academic international lawyer and I specialize in disaster law, which, you know, in, again, a very, very tiny nutshell is the laws that pertain to the uh, mitigation of preparedness for response to and recovery from disasters. And those disasters are very broadly defined. Um, and so in terms of how I got into that, I started training as a lawyer from the age of 18, which explains why I'm now completely devoid of any personality. And I 
graduated from London and Bologna universities for my undergraduate law degree. So I graduated there in 2012 with first class honours and I was very, very lucky thereafter to be awarded a Fulbright scholarship to study at Harvard. And so in 2013, no, 2012, sorry, I moved to the US, moved to Boston, which is funny because I'm actually from Boston in Lincolnshire. So I say that I went from the original Boston all, all the way through to the to the new Boston. And um, so I, I started studying a, a master's program in law at Harvard Law School. And I realized there that I had a very deep interest in the basal or fundamental obligations of states in relation to the welfare of their populations, both populations under their jurisdiction and under their control. And as part of that sort of very fundamental, distinct interest, I started to explore topics like human rights and the uh, laws of war, humanitarian law, some people call it. Uh, I also did some work in capital punishment um, and spent some time in Louisiana. So I worked for uh, a capital defense office in New Orleans and we had two inmates that I was, um, well, two cases that I worked on were two inmates at Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola. Some people call it the, the Alcatraz of the South, but it's a maximum security prison for, you know, the most ostensibly most violent offenders. And I was, so there's two cases that I was, that I was working on were, had a pretty deep impact on me, pretty formative sort of experience. Um, one of them was a, a torture and a murder of a small child. And the other one was a very violent serial killer who targeted elderly individuals. And the kind of interesting thing about all of this is that the, you know, when you are exposed so closely and so deeply to the most abhorrent human behavior, I think there emerges this, at least for me, there emerges this almost inescapable desire to find and to be immersed in the very best of human behavior. And so that for me was kind of a turning point in what I wanted to focus on. It was a very kind of defining point in my career, if you like. And so from there, when I got back to Harvard um, and it was time to write my dissertation, my master's dissertation, I was starting to think about how I could immerse myself in, in the good of the world rather than the bad of it. Now, ironically, I ended up studying genocide for this, and which is definitely not the best of the world. But I was in a meeting with my supervisor, who was um, exceptionally lucky to be supervised by Professor Martha Minow, who at the time was the dean of Harvard Law School. And I remember going into the first meeting with her when we were talking about topics, and I pitched this topic about whatever it was, I kind of remember something to do with the, the way that organizations interact with the International Criminal Court. And she sat there and she was very patient with me and she kind of looked at me and said, well, that's interesting and all, but come back to me when you've figured out how you're actually going to change the world. And then she smiled at me and left. And so I kind of sat there and I was like, wow, okay. And it was at that point then that I realized just how incredibly powerful the law could be in changing things for people. You know, the law is an incredibly, incredibly powerful tool. And if you are thus interested in finding out the best of what we can do for each other, then the law is one way of making that a reality. And so I came back to England, or went back to England, um, and now live in the United States, but I went back to England and I studied a doctorate and it was my intention to find the best way that I could use this this tool that I now felt like I had to, to do something which was what I hoped would be brilliant for people. 
And um, of course, I had the same you know ambitions as every other doctoral student in that sense. But I was kind of looking at the at the laws around disaster response. Um, number of reasons why I got into that but I was looking at the laws of disaster response and I realized that we have these very elaborate and very fancy laws for getting aid into uh, war zones into armed conflict areas but we don't have a very good system at all internationally nor most places domestically for getting aid into peacetime disasters whether they be earthquakes whether they be industrial accidents or floods or hurricanes whatever it will be we're not very good at getting aid into places like that. And so I kind of made it my mission for the past five years to figure out how we can be better at that. Um, and so I've now finished that, that doctorate and have started consulting in the area. And then the very last part of the story is to what brings me to where I am now, which is um, the founder of what is called the Crisis Academy, which is an online education and professional development platform for emergency management and response professionals, is that I was doing this consulting work and I realized, wow, if I could package this up in a way that would make it more accessible, then that probably would do a lot of good. And so I started thinking about how I could train people in what I was doing. And that then led me to think about how we can train each other in a, in a much better way. And then the Crisis Academy was born, really. So that brings us up to speed <laughs> with, where, with where I am now. That's just an incredible story right there. But um and I'm always awed by by how people get to to where we are today. Oh, definitely. So the Crisis Academy. So it's kind of interesting. So what what is the Crisis Academy going to do that say FEMA's um, online uh, training uh, won't do? Okay, so a couple of things I think, um, and this is not to say in any way that the the training that FEMA or anybody else offers is in any way you know disadvantageous to anybody or that it's not good enough in certain ways, but I just think there are people learn in different ways and this may be a way that people can learn in addition to that. So um, the first thing that it will do differently is that it will enable experts within this field, people who at the moment might not even identify themselves as experts, but professionals working in this field will be able to design and upload and teach their own courses. Um, and so in that sense, they won't have to be in any way kind of selected to um, to offer these courses. There'll be quality review, of course, but in the way that FEMA has, you know, official instructors and it comes from an, uh, an institution, this, this will be a peer-to-peer -peer learning platform, which means that anybody that has any specialist knowledge or skills that they want to share, they will actually be able to do that in a very simple and straightforward way. And it's going to make that training so much more accessible than it might be if, say, you had to register through through FEMA or you um, were trying to teach on a platform uh, like the Emergency Management Institute that FEMA runs. Um, and so that's the first thing. And the second thing is just in terms of the format. So the format of the Crisis Academy will be similar to like a Udemy or a Skillshare, those kind of platforms where you can register with the platform, you can watch video courses, you can listen to audio clips, you can download white papers. Uh, there are course forums where you can interact with other people that are taking the course you can interact with the instructors there are quizzes assignments like all this kind of stuff that makes the learning experience so much more accessible and so much more interactive than you what you might get with say the emi well what i think is exciting about this is we take a look at um the linkedin learn right so it used to be lynda.com and mm -hmm. um 
you know, now it's called LinkedIn Learn. And, and the cool part about it, if you ever take any of those courses is it is, you're absolutely right. It is subject matter experts in the field of whatever. And, yeah. and, and you're able to interact with them either through, through direct contact or uh, you listen to their, um, their, their video presentation and they're, they're very well done. And, and I yeah. think that we are missing something like that in the field uh, of emergency management. And there are so many people worldwide who are, are doing some really innovative things. And, and uh, you, you know, I think that uh, what you guys, what you're proposing and what you're putting together um, is going to fit that niche. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I mean, I've, I've had experiences at conferences before where I've, you know, I've listened to all of the presentations and I've, and I've gone away thinking, wow, this was amazing. And then, you know, you kind of, you at the bar or at a coffee shop or wherever you are somewhere afterwards with, with one of the other participants and, or the other attendees, and you start talking about something. And then there's this additional kind of learning that happens when you're just talking to one of your peers and it's not meant to be this incredibly formal training process, but it's just about sharing ideas and it's about sharing innovations. And I find that, or in my experience anyway, I, I find that the people that are working in this field are doing so for very compelling reasons. And they are doing so because they genuinely, genuinely care about what it is that they are doing. And when you combine that with subject matter expertise, you get this incredible experience where people really do want to teach the best of what they know. And if I can make that more accessible through the Crisis Academy, then you know, I think that's a good thing. So that is it's definitely the, you know, the, my main motivation for, for doing that is to, is to break down these silos, to give people access to each other in a, in a completely different way, and hopefully to just add another resource for people that want to continue to educate themselves and to develop professionally within emergency management and response. I think you hit the uh, nail on the head right there talking about after um, the classes at conferences. And I think that's why it's important for people to go to conferences is to interact with each other because you do continue to learn. And you, and you might hear something um, in that uh, session that you're in and somebody else might hear something and you talk together and you go, oh, I didn't think about it from that perspective. And, you, and it really enhances that learning experience that you have um, in that conference. Is that what you're doing with this program? Yeah, definitely. It's like I say, it's about kind of opening up the knowledge that we that we all have. A lot of us, we have expertise, whether it be subject matter expertise or it's a particular skill that we're that we're very very good at. And you know, we know that it will be helpful to other people, and we 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 share it with people in our conversations. And my idea is that we can make that more accessible. We can make that available to a much wider audience. You know, I mean, just from the analytics that I've had, the interest already on the on the, on the website, I can tell that people around the world, we've got China, Australia, the UK, several countries in Europe, South America, you know, people are interested in, in what we're all doing, you know, and it's like, it's not, this isn't just something that's going to be based in, in the US and Canada, but it's going to be something that you can access, you know, you can, you can be trained by somebody in Sydney if you're sat, you know, right here in Connecticut where I am, you know, and that, that to me is amazing. And I think it's, you know, we're right at the edge of, of what is possible in terms of online education. The software that we that I am using to, to build this is among the most advanced that's available on the market today. And the idea is that it will offer a phenomenal student experience. You know, you can be able, you're gonna be able to pick this up on, on a desktop computer when you're at work, but you know, permitted to do your training at work. <laughs> um, you know, or when you're on the train on the way home, you can watch, you can watch things on your phone or you can listen to it as an audio clip, you know, while you're out walking the dogs. You know, this is how I think people people learn. When they're in the mood to learn something, they'll find it. And especially in, in this day and age where we have so much information at our fingertips, 
you know, this is going to be a way that people, that it can be completely curated in a way. You know, you can go to one place and you can find all of this information on, on topics that we all care about. And it might even surprise us, you know, what we, what we didn't think we were interested in, suddenly we are interested in because somebody has presented it in a very compelling and informative way. Oh, yeah, and for sure. yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. You know, the, the world's shrinking uh, quickly. You know, we can get places uh, relatively fast. Uh, compared yeah. to, you know, back in the day, right, when we can pretty much travel around the world, uh, you know, 24 hours or so. Um, and that means that the, the disasters uh, are, are shrinking, or which is they're growing, for lack of a better term. And that obviously here in the United States, uh, we support uh, internationally a lot, and the international community supports the United States a lot when it comes to uh, disasters, especially the wildfires. And we're always constantly learning from each other and, and best techniques. And the internet has done a great job of, of shrinking the world in that aspect as well. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in communications with a guy over in Germany right now where we're talking about using the principles of emergency management to help rebuild a war-torn nations such as Kosovo right now. Uh, it's one of the projects that we're working on. Uh, you know, we work with guys over in, and I say guys again, everybody, it's a general term, um, over in Australia and New Zealand on some of their techniques, specifically with wildland firefighting, because obviously, you know, they're on the opposite side of the world. So when it's uh, fire season there, it's the winter time here. So we have those uh, switches in um, in the climate so we can support each other that way. I think this program that you're proposing, or that you're putting, I shouldn't say proposing because it's real, this uh, program yeah. that you've put together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this program that you put together is amazing. So how, how do you find your instructors that are going to be part of this? Uh, so I have been very, very lucky to have a fantastic response on LinkedIn. So I was kind of testing the waters a bit with this idea two or three weeks ago. And I put out a post on, on LinkedIn and basically just said, here's what I'm trying to do. Let me know if you're interested. And that, and that is how casual I wanted to launch it to begin with, because I didn't want to build this huge thing and then, and then not have anybody be remotely interested in it. So I thought, okay, let's do the sensible thing and test the waters a bit. And I was inundated, completely inundated with messages, with emails, with registrations to the instructor uh, email list. Um, and it was, it was phenomenal, honestly, absolutely phenomenal. And so I think there's been part of it was just, just through LinkedIn. That's how simple it was, honestly, in the beginning. So I announced it on LinkedIn and I got a number of instructors. I think there's about 30 or so registered now. Um, and then the rest has been word of mouth. People that have connected me to other people that they know are brilliant. So they go, you know, this is awesome. This sounds great. So-and-so might be interested in that. And then there's an email introduction and then somebody else is, is, is registered and interested. And it's, and it's been that simple, honestly, at the moment. Now, what I do intend to do when the platform is live is I will have a section on the website where the information about instructing will be a lot easier for people to access. So at the moment, it's pretty straightforward. You just have to visit a URL and I have a one-page sort of landing page where you can sign up for more information if you're interested. But when the Crisis Academy platform goes live, uh, which I'm hoping will be in August, then it will be possible to visit the website, see a series of sort of demonstrations about what it's what it's like and how easy it is really to, to teach with the Crisis Academy. And there'll be a lot more information on, on the logistics of it. So right now, everybody's been very patient with me as I send out email updates and whatnot. And when the, the platform actually launches, it'll be very, very simple just to log on, 
understand what is involved and then register yourself as an instructor from there. And then, of course, your course will go through a quality review check, which I won't get into the boring details of, um, and then it can go live and it can be as simple as that. So we're going to take a quick break here in a second. When we come back, I want to talk about how can people find you and how can people take the course. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication, even when networks are down, augmented reality and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. Welcome back from that quick break. And, you know, without the sponsors, uh, we really can't put on what we're doing. So please go check them out. Let them know that you heard them here on Ian Weekly. And, you know, like I said, use them because we need them. (laughs) So welcome back uh, from the break. Um, So before we laugh, we're kind of talk about how we find instructors. Now, how do students, um, and I know you're not launched yet, but you will be, and mm-hmm. somebody's going to hear this later on when you are launched. How do students you know, find you, and, and how are they going to sign up for a course? Okay, so really, really simple process. So the website, um, I've already bought the domain for the website, so that is all, all set up and ready to go, and that is www.crisisacademy.org, and it will be as simple as logging onto that website and then signing up as a user. Now, there will be some content that will be available absolutely for free. And so if you sign up as a user on the website, you will have access to that content. And then if you like what you see, you'll be able to sign up for a monthly subscription. Those subscriptions are going to start at $49.99 US dollars. And there will be different levels of subscription depending on what you want access to. And that would be that simple. So for a monthly subscription, you can get access to everything on the website. And if you would prefer, though, just to have a one-off experience with it, just to buy one course, then that's absolutely fine, and you can pay a one-off fee for that as well. Some people don't like to have monthly subscriptions, and we completely understand that, so we want to make it as simple as possible for people to just pick and choose what they want to learn. And so you can either go for a one-off course fee, or you can sign up for a monthly subscription and get access to everything. So what what type of courses um, are you guys, are you looking at right now, and... uh you know, has anybody developed any courses for you yet? Okay, so we have at the moment a list of, and it's an amazing list, it's a list of 34 courses that have already been submitted to me in terms of topics. Um, and so if I'm just looking at this list right now, so we've got courses on exercise design and delivery. We've got courses on safeguarding children in disasters, incident command, rescue task force, there's this guy that runs this particularly uh, nice podcast. I don't know if you've heard of him, Todd DeVoe. He's doing a uh, course on emergency management and public administration. Uh, there are courses on uh, weapons of mass destruction in terrorism, volunteer management, shelter management, post-disaster housing, citizen preparedness, crisis action planning, <laughs> policy making. There's a whole series of courses that I am very, very excited to be to be taking at some point. I think this is what I'm going to be doing in the end. I'm just going to be taking all of these courses. <laughs> um, and yeah, so the the spectrum of these courses is incredible. And that's actually why, I could, why I'm pitching this as an emergency management and response platform. Because, you know, I've talked already about how I think it's important that we break down these silos, right? So managers 
shouldn't just be talking to managers and responders, shouldn't just be talking to, re to responders. There's, the way I see it, there's this whole kind of spectrum of management and response that we all fit into somehow. And I think it's to be able to open up that spectrum and to be able to have courses that really relate to, to one or several aspects of that spectrum is, is really important. And so that's why I think it's so, um, you know, important really that we, that we try and attract a wide group of people to, to instruct on this. You know, I don't want to stop at 50 instructors or a hundred instructors. I want this to be something that anybody who is interested in sharing their knowledge can, can upload their, their work to. And whether that's a one course thing or they put 10 or 20 courses out, I don't, I don't care. As long as people are sharing their knowledge in the way that they are excited to do so, then I think that's, you know, that's the core offering really that we can open up this amazing community of people and we can dig into their brains and bring the best of what they know into something as, as easy to do as logging onto your phone or logging onto your laptop. You know, it's, it can be that simple to access that much brilliance. So if somebody was interested in becoming an instructor, how would they do so? Uh, so the best way to do that at the moment is to go onto LinkedIn and search for the Crisis Academy. So just type in Crisis Academy and you will uh, find the company page. And then on that company page, there are a series of um, either within the company um, description or within the post, you'll find a link to a instructor landing page where you can find out more information. And then, like I said, once the academy goes live hopefully in august then everything will just be on the www.crisisacademy.org website okay now we're getting into some of the uh more difficult questions today okay <laughs> i'm ready what book books or publication do you recommend to somebody in the field of emergency management Todd, that is a dangerous question because you could keep me here all day. But I, in anticipation, I have narrowed down to two. Now, I would be a terrible businesswoman if I didn't pitch my own book. So my uh, thesis that I wrote at Oxford um, is now published as a book. You can get that on Amazon. So if you are in any way interested in the laws that underpin international disaster response, and if you are in any way enraged by the fact that countries can just basically say no to assistance, even when people are dying, then you may be interested in this book. It goes through the whole spectrum of rights and obligations that sovereignty entails. I think a lot of us forget that often, that sovereignty entails obligations on the part of the state, not just rights. And so if you are anyway interested in that, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, it's called The Unlawful Refusal of Emergency Humanitarian Aid. And that's all I'll say about that. Um, the book that I would recommend absolutely everybody reads, and I was kind of skeptical about this to begin with, is Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Now, I was very skeptical of this book when I first learned about it because I read that title and it struck me as a book that was about kind of manipulating people and about getting your own way with people. And it's actually really not about that at all. I think it's about the most basic principles of communication between humans. And I think it really gets to the core of what it means to be a good communi communicator. And I think it gets to the core of what it means to be able to listen to people and to be able to understand what they really want. And for those of you that haven't heard about how the book is organized, it's basically organized around a set of principles. And so there are principles like, for example, you can never win an argument. And, you know, even if you think you've substantively won the argument, you've actually lost out in terms of the respect that that person has lost for you 
in terms of any hostility that's left over and stuff like that. And so it's just it's just a really, really interesting book about how we actually communicate with each other. And I think that's been one of those really sort of, I wouldn't say life-changing, but day-to-day life-changing books for me in the past sort of three or four months that I've actually read. So I would highly recommend that. What are the three things emergency managers need to know going into a humanitarian aid situation? Three things. Wow. Okay, that you were right. These are the more difficult situations, the more difficult questions. Because I'm a lawyer, I'm going to say there needs to be a basic understanding of the laws and regulations that govern action. So that's going to be my first one. Um, and the reason that I say that is because the laws and regulations that underpin what we do are the ones that don't just tell us what we're meant to be doing, but how we're meant to be doing it and how our responsibilities interact with with other actors. And that, I think, is critical in reducing waste, in saving money and in making us overall more effective as emergency managers and responders. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, and going on what I just said about the book, is I think we we all need to listen more to our colleagues and I think we need to listen more to the communities that we are serving because at the end of the day our jobs are about service and our jobs are about the welfare the welfare of our fellow humans of people in our communities and people in other communities and often in aid situations where we're, we're giving out say humanitarian aid we're not thinking truly about what people actually need and the only way to find that out is to listen to them and to listen to people in the moment and so rather than going in with our kind of prescribed, you know, ideas about what we need and what we should have, I think we should actually be listening to communities. The challenge in that comes in preparing for that in advance. And so I will say for my last, uh, my last recommendation for what we should be doing is we should be focusing much, much more of our efforts on preparedness. Now, I know that is a trend that is picking up already. Um, but in my field, in the legal field, we are terrible at preparing legally for disasters we're useless at it honestly we're very very poor at preparing legally for disasters and that is a huge concern so many of the problems caused by Katrina caused by Harvey caused by Michael those could have been avoided if we'd have done the legal work better in the first place and so I think that we all need to shift our focus a lot more in what we're doing at management and response level responders need to do this as well we need to be looking at preparedness a lot more so whether that is fixing the problems that we have with our legal system, whether that is better understanding our roles and our responsibilities within our communities, whether that is asking people what they actually want in humanitarian aid, we need to be better at preparedness. So I'll say that's my third one. We're going to have to have you back on to talk about uh, resiliency and preparedness and what we can do to uh, uh, for the things that are happening with the power companies and, and whatnot. So that's an interesting topic for sure. Fantastic. Okay, so if you could talk to all of the emergency managers in the world at one time, what would be the one thing you'd say to them? Thank you for what you do. Um, I think maybe a bit cliched, but I think a lot of people in emergency management and response are highly underappreciated. So firstly, thank you. You know, I am someone who's not directly involved in those activities, but I know that I benefit from it every day, and I know that my community does and my family does so thank you um, for that and last thing I suppose I'm 
opening myself up to be inundated, I'm sure. But if anybody has any questions about the legal side of all of this, I, you know, I treat all of my EMR colleagues as, as friends. And so please know that I'm open to conversations to help you out with whatever that is that, that you are doing in this space. If it involves the legal side of things, I know how complicated and sometimes boring it can be. So if you need a friend in that space, then I'm your friend in that space. Well, Camila, thank you so much for being here uh, this morning. Uh, and thank you for so much for the work that you're putting into uh, the field of emergency management. No, thank you.